When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 52. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Rostam. The former Vampire Weekend member has just released his second record, entitled Change Phobia. In today's episode, we're talking about what inspired the new record, producing music for Haim and Claro, and him rebooting his own franchise. Here we go. Our guest today is formerly of the band Vampire Weekend. Since leaving, he's released solo records and produced music for artists like Charlie XCX, Frank Ocean, and Haim. Last week, he released his second solo record, entitled Change Phobia. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Rostam. Good evening. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, as we just discussed, you are in, in Mexico at the moment. What's going on in Mexico? It's a friend's birthday. So the timing worked out for me to come down and uh, there's, a, there's a little group of us here and uh, we're going to go out to a nice dinner tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get a- away from Los Angeles for a little bit before my album came out, <laughs> if, I'm to- if I'm totally honest. <laughs> Look, I very much appreciate honesty. I, I think that's um, that's a very fair thing. It's probably about to get a little bit uh, a bit wild for you. The new record, Change Phobia, is out now. And... I don't think as most people would know, you're not someone who kind of is just like lazing about. You are a very busy man. Um, when, I guess, how long has this record been in the works and, and where where have you been working on it? Because you've been working on many other projects as well. Um, I think I started making this album in earnest in the fall of 2017. And... Uh, and then in February 2018, I I had these ideas that uh, I booked some studio time to flesh out. And, you know, every place I've lived, I've had a recording studio. But making this album, I booked some time at this studio called Vox. And in the past, uh, Vox had been this place to go and and finish songs you know everything when everything was recorded except for the drums you know vox was a great place to go and you know record the drums but making this album i wanted to try using vox to record before a song was even fully written and uh that was something that was unique about this record um the first song 
that I dived into was Unfold You. Uh, I had a lot of the music written. Um, a lot of the music of that song, you know, is sampled from Nick Hakim, but none of the saxophones come from Nick Hakim's song. Um, the sax lines at the beginning and the end of the song I, I wrote, and uh, I wrote them out actually as sheet music. And in February 2018, I had Henry Solomon, uh, the sax player who played on the whole record, play on what became Unfold You. And uh, he also improvised a sax solo during that session. And uh, in some ways, I think that sort of, it, it created one of the blueprints for the record, which is a song where sort of the emotional climax happens with a sax solo. And I think that was something that once I did once, I kept wanting to do again on this album. <laughs> the album does have this, um, it's still very much a Rustin record, but it has this this almost like jazz lilt to it, if you will, where um, that saxophone does make an appearance a few times throughout. And it is a little bit different. Previously you've worked um, and, and had maybe influences by like Bach or like strings and things like that. Where did this, uh, I guess, was that the jumping off point for the interest in more of a jazz? I don't want to say it's like a jazz record, but more of like a jazz touch or tinge to the record. Yeah, it, it was actually, I, I look back on the music that I'd made since I was 22 and I felt like so much of it was inspired by classical music and I was proud of it, but I also felt like whatever I did next required and demanded me to turn over a new page and uh, to almost, you know, to use Hollywood terminology to reboot my own franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. I feel like your you, your franchise is still still fresh, still young. You don't need to reboot it as of yet. It's not um, in need of no, like a no, Spider Man three or four. No, that's not my. That's not true. I'm 37. I I can't <laughs> believe I've made it. In in this, you know, music is a young man's game. I can't believe I've made it this far. Uh, but it was time. I mean, I I love I love the music that I made between. 2007 and 2017 but I also was like whatever you do next has got to be different and so I made a couple rules for myself going into making this record and one of the rules was no strings and the other rule was no classical music that's very fair I think um, I'm curious to know well, I, I imagine now with the knowledge that what we just discussed is that um, for those listening to the podcast that might not know your non-musical work, your producing work, so you've produced for people like Haim, uh, Claro, um, you've worked with Solange, Frank Ocean. At the start of uh, Women in Music Part 3, there is like little bits of, um, I think specifically in like Los Angeles, there is that baritone sax there. And I was curious where whether they'd kind of influence you or you'd influence them. But I think knowing the timeline now, were you kind of playing some of the music to people, whether it be family, friends, people you're working with, and kind of getting a gauge on what they thought of the the new 
Rostam, the new record? In some ways, it was coincidental. Um, Danielle brought me the song Summer Girl. And already in, in her early version of the song, it was referencing Lou Reed. Um, and there is a sax solo at the end of Walk on the Wild Side, the Lou Reed song. Yeah. But one of the things that I contributed to Summer Girl was the sax line. Um, I originally wrote it on the computer, but a year prior I had worked with Henry. So in some ways Henry had influenced me insofar as he inspired me to write for sax more than I had before. But after I added that sax line, when I was working with Danielle, um, the next step became having Henry come in and, and play the sax line that I wrote. And then from there, he sort of became a, a, a bigger part of the record and, and contributed sax, not just to Summer Girl, but also Los Angeles and also uh, I've Been Down. And, and so in some ways it was coincidental because, you know, I, I didn't expect Danielle to want to quote Walk on the Wild Side, but when, when she began to sort of create the song that was already referencing it, I think it triggered something in my mind and, uh, it was almost like a domino effect, but, uh, there is one song on half light that does have a sax solo. It's called Rudy. And, uh, that is a baritone sax. So I think I, I did have this inkling to experiment with baritone sax dating back to, geez, I mean, that, that sax solo from Rudy was recorded in probably like 2011 or 2012. So I, I find that when I have musical ideas, sometimes they, they take years and years to gestate. I can imagine that's very fair, especially with, how busy you are and, and all these projects that you're doing that they might, some ideas might sit dormant for a little while and, um, and some might come, uh, as, as quickly as, as, as they can. Do you find that when you are working on these other projects that you ever pick up inspiration for your own thing, or there's ever a time where you, you're kind of maybe working on something in the background of your own. And then while working on these other projects that, inspiration will kind of hit you at the, at a weird point where you might be mixing or producing someone and it comes in then. I would say I've, I've learned so much from working with Haim and learning, working with Clara, but the things that I feel like I've learned are, are they've contributed to my emotional intelligence, uh, so much. And, I'm certain they've contributed to my musical mind, but I can't tell you how yet. I, I just feel like I could tell you in five or 10 years, but I, I couldn't tell you yet. Uh, it is a question that it seems like everybody wants to ask me. Uh, but I think the answer is, is, is something that, you know, I can't really arrive at. I, I'm too close to those records. And, and, you know, as we talked about today on this podcast, those records had, you know, this, they were, they were kind of made at the same time. 
Yeah, no, that's very fair. Change Phobia opens with a gorgeous track, These Kids We Knew, which uh, touches on climate change, if I'm correct. You are correct. Beautiful. I just wanted to <laughs> wanted to make sure. Where did um, the thought... I, I guess, obviously, it's a big issue in the world at the moment and something that isn't being addressed as much as it could be or should be. When you sit down to write a song when it has somewhat of a political kind of leaning to it, it was only after I listened a few times and, and, listened, uh, and, and did a little bit more research that I kind of really picked up on the, the climate change part of it. You can still hear it, but for you to approach a song where it is somewhat political, how do you find that line between, you know, literally like a protest song, arm in the air, but also still making it a Rostam song that is not that, if that makes sense? Sure. Well, the way that I wrote that song it is, is very unique in that I had a fever while I was writing it. And this was in March of 2020. And uh, the fever was from COVID, I would later find out. But at the time, I, I didn't know for sure um, that I had COVID. And uh, I spent four days in bed. And on the fourth day, I got out of bed and I had to go up to the studio and, and get out of, you know, my sedentary state, even though I still had a fever, but I, I just told myself, you got to kill some time. You got to get out of your bedroom. And these kids we knew was a product of me just wanting to kill some time and not thinking about what I was doing and certainly not thinking it was right for my next album. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't until the next day where my fever had, had subsided and I, I came back to the studio and I listened to it and I was like, wait, maybe this is, maybe this is good. And maybe this <laughs> does make sense on your record. But, but I think the lyrics did just kind of come out of me on that one. You know, like I was channeling something. I, you know, I had, I had Greta Thunberg on my mind, but I wasn't thinking explicitly about, you know, placing her in a song, uh, it, it was just kind of like a story that, you know, was writing itself. It sounds uh, almost... I feel that almost like in regardless of, of COVID or not, like that it, it's almost like a fever dream that kind of you return to and it was something that was worth revisiting and, and working on sickness aside do you have times where you, songs projects where you'll kind of work on it at some point and maybe put it down for whatever reason sickness or not um and then come back to it when you for you what makes a an, a song project whatever worth revisiting and and thinking you know what this does have something to it that we can actually turn into a a product I, you know, every song on this album, Change Phobia, came from doing what you just described, from picking it up and putting it down. I don't know how else to work on stuff. I will say that when I made the track for Forerunner, I, I recorded almost all the instruments in, in 
the span of several hours. And I knew that if I could, there was a great song waiting to be written on top of that track. Um, and so that was one that I never doubted in some ways. I always knew that, that if I could figure out what to sing on top of forerunner, it was going to be a special song. It wasn't called forerunner yet. Uh, there are other songs on this album where it started with a beat. Kenny, for example, started with a beat and the name just stuck. It was called Kenny and it stayed Kenny forerunner was called something <laughs> random and then, you know, became that song. But besides that song, I think every, every song on this album, I doubted if it would make it, uh, because it did start as a piece of music that in some ways, you know, could have gone anywhere lyrically. When you are um, kind of relating to that in terms of picking things up, putting them down, working on them bit by bit, I'm curious when you are working as a producer and you're kind of picking these projects, as we discussed, Haim, Maggie Rogers, uh, Frank Ocean, for you to put your name to a a project or to an album or whatever it may be, what qualities or what does it have to have for you to, to sign up and be like, yeah, I want to be a part of that, I want to work on that? I think it's always been personal relationships uh, that are how I fall into these projects. Um, It's very rare that it's through management or labels. Um, It has happened, but it is very rare. So it's not something that I actually think about. It's, it's something that either happens organically or, you know, it doesn't happen. So I can't really give you an answer. I can very much understand that. (laughs) I think sometimes with things like that, and I imagine without speaking for you, obviously, is that I imagine it is, it's a personal relationship, but it's also a a feeling or or a vibe for lack of a better term in a way that, um, that is something unspoken. Yeah, certainly. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With such, a, a, I guess, an incredible um, working relationship with some of the people that we've mentioned and 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 I imagine 
those people the producing for those also who are unaware you're a founding member of vampire weekend one of the biggest indie rock bands of the last 20 years or so has there ever been a thought to have um them come and work on on your stuff like have not like a, a full guest album but have people come in and and play or feature on on tracks of of your work well it it, it actually has happened you know like Danielle played all the drums on the song Sophia and the song Bags from the Claro album. She played drums on these kids we knew. Um, there is cross-pollination. And uh, at the same time, I knew that I wanted to make a record going into this record that didn't have any featured vocalists. Um, it felt like that was a statement that I wanted to make. Um, I wanted the record to be a collection of songs with one point of view. Um, and, and I think that was something I knew going into it. It wasn't something that I thought about over the course of making the record. It was almost like my brain had already committed to certain things. There were other things that I look back on the album and I was, and I realized my brain had already committed to like, there's drums on every song on this <laughs> album. And I, I certainly had conversations with myself about that several years ago, but I didn't think about it at all while I was making the album. Um, it was something I thought about right before I made the rec- the record. And, and I think, you know, it's like I signed a contract with myself, like you're going to make this record and it's going to be a very drum heavy record and, and it's going to be very rhythmic and it's going to be very upbeat in a way. Um, and I think, that was on my mind, but then it moved to the back of my mind and it never came back. It is a very uh, rhythmic centric album, if you will, or record. Um, but I, I feel that to what you're saying, like it's not, um, and without uh, disrespecting any other artist, it's it's not like your typical like, floor to the floor drum or it's not your usual kind of drums in that sense i feel like most of the stuff on your album and some of the stuff you've worked on with others it is uh like the 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 rhythm noises and the drum and percussion noises are so unique and kind of different in terms of having that backing like um uh the the back uh sorry i'm gonna butcher the the back of the from the back of the cab from the back of a cab, yes. Oh, oh, I knew I was going to miss one word. Um, was uh, the the rhythm and the the drum noises in that are incredible? Do you think that it's it's a thing where you're trying not to do one thing but making it your own, so it does still do both? If if that makes sense, does that question? Well, I I mean I I, I recently was having a conversation with a friend who said you know not every song has to have banging drums. And I think I just disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> so whether the beat is 12, eight and, you know, referencing African music and Persian music and w- whatever the beat is, I just think the drums should be banging. That's, that feels like it's my job on some level. Uh, and, <laughs> and if I don't give you banging drums, then, uh, you know, I- I'm not doing my job. So 
I, I, I see what you're saying. Like I do want, I do want the drums that I do to be unique rhythmically, but I also want them to make you want to move. And, and I want them to make, I want them to knock, you know, that's important to me. So, so I think about that a lot. It's always on my mind. It's, it's not something that leaves my mind. Uh, like, and it's kind of, it's kind of exactly what you said. It's like, I, I don't want the drums to play the standard rhythms that you hear in songs, but at the same time, at the same time, I do want the drums to bang. I feel that they definitely bang in terms of, as you said, like movement. There's a lot of dancing. I can see this um, this record doing very, very well in outside festivals, things like that at, at gigs. Um, more in terms of like it's never, you know how you, there's some pop music like where the beat is overpowering everything else, like where it's almost like uh, it's literally you're banging your head on the table with the drums, if that makes sense. It's, it's never like that. It, it is just, um, I probably yeah, do. The, the, I probably do like that kind of pop music though. <laughs> <laughs> that is true as well. But I, in, in my mind, I think more like head banging, but not. Yeah. <laughs> if the drum, if the drums are loud, I'm there. I'm a cheap date. <laughs> Is there, you've worked with people as well, like Charlie XCX. Um, I believe there's a, a few other pop acts in there. Has there ever been a desire to just make a full blown pop banger record where it's like, um, maybe not like hyper pop, but like, yeah, something that's just pure top 40 brilliance? Yeah, I definitely have a desire to make a record like that, but I also know that. I don't, I don't really make records in a pop ecosystem. I make records with artists who write their own songs, and uh, you know sometimes we write together, sometimes they write on their own. But I I need to work with those kind of artists in order to do what I do, um, and and I do think I could make a record that's what you're talking about but I have to find the right artist to do it with. And, and I think I will at, at some point. Um, but, but, but I don't think I could make it in the way that, you know, pop records are written with, you know, 10 writers on every song. I, I think that could become, a, a, you know, a disaster if I, if I tried to, if I tried to insert my mental ethos about production into a songwriting space like that, I think it would be unpleasant. I know we spoke just before on having um, the projects you work on like happen organically and through people you know, and you said that there's been one or two through record labels. Without doxing anyone, we're not going to name and shame, but has there ever been uh, an approach from a label or an artist for something like that where you've been like, no, that's not me, that's not my kind of gem? I will say that Carly Rae Jepsen was somebody that I wanted to work with. Um, I don't think she was super aware of the music I'd produced in my career when we first met, but um, we started making a song on the first day that we met. And that song ended up 
on her record Emotion. It was called Warm Blood. And she was someone who, you know, was coming off one of the biggest songs in history with Call Me Baby. And I was just a, whole, a fan of her whole record. Um, and, and I, you know, I wanted to work with her. So in some ways, like, I, yeah, I, I guess the reason that I mentioned that it's almost never through labels or management is because I, I, I guess I want people to know that when I love something, well, when I love someone's songwriting point of view, it doesn't matter if the music they make is pop or folk or alternative or hyper pop. The, the genre is so, or bedroom pop, for example, the genre is so unimportant to me. Uh, songwriting is what's important to me. And specifically the point of view of the songwriter. I love certain points of view that people write from and I identify with it. I resonate with it. And those are the people that I want to collaborate with. Is there anything at the moment that is, um, usually we'll talk to our guests about what they're currently listening to. Is there anything that's getting a thorough spin in, in your record player or on your streaming services? Um, definitely. I, I like this song called Big Wheel by an artist named Samia, S-A-M-I-A. Definitely worth checking out. Um, I loved Christine and the Queen's EP and film from last year. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I thought Doja Cat's last album was a classic. I, I think, um, I think there's a lot of great music happening right now. We recently had homeschool on the podcast who worked with Samia on um, a Smartest Man, their track, and um, found my way to her through that. She's an incredible artist. It is, she's making some very cool music. For sure. The last thing I wanted to touch on, and I'm sure that it is talked to you about a lot, and I didn't want to talk about it a lot on the, on the podcast, was... Um, Vampire Weekend, obviously your founding member, no longer with the band, but still collaborating and, and working with them. The one thing I kind of wanted to ask if it's all right, um, was I guess in 2021, it's a very quick kind of momentum for new artists to, uh, you know, you can be found on TikTok on one day and within a 24 to 48 hour window cycle, you can be signed or have some form of deal back then when you were producing the music and and releasing it as yourselves, it was maybe one of the first and last in a weird way that used the blogs to kind of come up and be found and was shared, but then found its way to that like headliner status of, of festivals and everything else. Back then, what was that moment like? Because I feel that there, that doesn't happen as much anymore. There's no kind of gradual hype. It's either like hype or it's, nothing <laughs> well i think an aspect of the story that remains you know underwritten and understated is the fact that we had a full record that we made and we put online we sent to friends it was distributed widely on the internet 
not through official channels, but through unofficial channels. Yeah. And that record, that record was essentially, give or take a couple songs, essentially the same album that was officially released in January 2008. And, um, you know, a very, a very similar product was floating around on the internet from 2000, from let's say March or April 2007. And I think because of that, people who were, became interested in our band, they could dig up, you know, a 10 song album on the internet. And, um, and I think in some ways it was their, it was their secret. And, uh, and it, it, it sort of fueled this excitement. Uh, and on the blogs, the blogs could, that wanted to write about songs that hadn't been released and wouldn't be released till January could write about, you know, 10 different songs by this band that was, that was rising slowly. And, um, you know, certainly there, there were so many people in the early days that, that, you know, even personally that didn't understand, uh, what I saw as, as a potential future for Vampire Weekend creatively. Um, and, and I think that in some ways it was fun to prove them wrong and, and, to, <laughs> and to do so with music that, you know, we believed in. Um, I will say just to touch on the, the music industry, cause that was a little bit of your question. People are getting signed right now to deals that are so much bigger money wise and so much better in terms of commitment uh, than anything we were offered back in 2007. I, I think what people don't understand about 2007 maybe is that it was a very odd year. It was this year where, you know, we were still seven years away from the streaming services having ubiquity seven or eight years away from that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, CD sales were falling and falling and falling. And people were very unsure about the music industry as a whole. And, and, uh, and, and I, think, I think it is funny that we were, you know, so many people wrote about the hype and the buzz, but the truth is the deals that people are getting offered now are so much more insane uh, and it's good and they deserve that. But what's happening now is that the buzz is being uh, tested and, and, and artists are proving themselves or not able to prove themselves on uh, streaming services, which, which are in some ways democratizing. Uh, yeah in a similar way to the blogosphere in 2007, I think the difference is now with something like Spotify, you have play counts. If a song is really big and an artist is independent, um, everybody can see just, just how big the song is. And the artists actually are making money from the master side. Um, if they're, if they're staying independent. So that's my long answer about <laughs> the difference between 2007 and 2021 or 2021 in the music industry. I am very appreciative for the long answer. So please, no, that was uh, that was wonderful. Um, Russell, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, 
and congratulations on Change Phobia. It is a great record. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Rostam for his time. Change Phobia is out now and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy a copy of the record or stream the music online. We also want to give a huge shout out to Ashling at Pius Australia for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of our guests' picks. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday and Friday morning with guest playlists streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.